to see you. Thanks for joining us today. Welcome to Trinity Bible Church. Uh, This morning we're going to worship the Lord together. We have been created to worship God. Uh, He desires that all of his creation would bring him glory. And so it's a good reminder that when we gather on a Sunday morning, we gather anytime that uh, we gather to honor him with our lips and with our actions. And so we'll do that together this morning. We're going to worship God through the reading of his word, just a moment, and then through song. And uh, we'll have some good time of fellowship and prayer together. And we'll be opening his word as we continue to study the gospel of Matthew together. Please remember, uh, and you'll hear me mention this a little bit later as well, that you matter to God. And that might seem kind of trite or like, yeah, of course, I, I understand that. But Let that sink in for a moment, that you personally do matter to God. God loved you and loves you so much that he would send his son to take your place and to offer you salvation. And only Jesus could have done that, and only he did that. And God, our Heavenly Father, loves all of his creation, and he loves you. And so you matter to him. So remember that. Be encouraged. and Let that be a, a good reminder of the hope that we have each and every day as we walk with him, that we individually do matter to God. He knows our names. He knows our hearts. And he knows that we are here today gathered to offer him worship and praise. I'd like to read to you uh, from the Old Testament and then a reading from the New Testament for our call into worship this morning. From Genesis chapter 1, starting in verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. 
God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. From the beginning of the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. God bless the reading of the word of the Lord to us this morning. Would you stand as I pray us into worship? Father God, we thank you for the wonderful reminder from your word that you created all things. But we are also thankful to know and be reminded from your word that we are part of your creation. Yes, the pinnacle of your creation. And Jesus, your very own son, God himself was there at creation and nothing that we see around us, nothing was made except through Jesus. And so we thank you for that wonderful reminder this morning. May it be our introduction and call into a time of worshiping you together, Father. Thank you that you have called us to be your children and that we can only recognize that truth because of Jesus, the Word who was from the beginning, who was and is and is to come. And Father, finally, we thank you that you have separated light from dark. We thank you that in Jesus Christ, we are now called children of light, and we are to walk in the light as Jesus is in the light, for he has brought light to the world and praise you, God, that the darkness did not overcome it. We thank you, Lord. And so, Father, we offer up this time of worship now to you because you get all the glory, and we do it in the name of Jesus through the power and leading of the Holy Spirit. Have your way with us as we offer ourselves up to you in worship. We do it in Jesus' name. Amen. Church, let us take this word let it be our call to worship, and let us worship him now together. Yeah. 
Hallelujah. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you that we have new life in him because he lives. God, may we continue to remember that and proclaim that truth, receive it, and to live it out each and every day, that we live because he lives in us. We thank you, Father God, for a time of worship. We give you all that praise and honor and glory that is due your name. Amen and amen. Why don't you take a moment to say good morning to somebody in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. That I swore I would never go back I was blind to the truth Didn't know what I had I was running I was searching But every place I turned for healing Left me more broken than the last Take me back To the place that feels like home To the people I can depend on To the faith that's in my bones Take me back to a preacher and a verse Where they've seen me at my worst To the love I had at first Oh, I want to go to church All right, so let's make our way back to uh, our seats and praise the Lord. And uh, this is also the time when uh, our kids get to, to go hang out and have their time together. Uh, praising the Lord, they continue to do that and they're learning from the Word. So we thank God for our Kids Ministry, Trinity Kids, and for all those that that serve, there's always opportunity for more. So if you have a heart for working with um, with kids, uh, we love to do that. The Word tells us that we are to uh, to pass on our faith. That's a, an important thing that we do as parents, but also as the body of Christ at, at the church that we do that uh, together for our next generation. And so we uh, we're thankful for them. Uh, I hope you enjoyed that last uh, song. That was a new worship song for us. So we'll be doing that uh, a number of times over the next few weeks. And uh, it's always great uh, to just remember those simple but profound truths, right? Especially of the truth of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that he lives. And so it's wonderful to sing those songs, you know, because music has such power in our lives. Whatever your relationship is to music, we know that um, it can really touch us and it's a language. And 
um, it helps us to communicate sometimes with others and also with God, and so helps us to remember uh, the Word of God and remember the the uh, the wonderful truth of our identity in Jesus Christ. So hopefully you enjoyed that time of worship and we're blessed. It's uh, it's always good to start our time together with that uh, to get our our minds and our hearts in the right place. And so again, thank you for joining us today. Just a a few pieces of uh, what we call church life to just kind of get caught up in where we are. Uh, remember that uh, here at Trinity, we learn, we grow, we serve. That's how we pursue discipleship is by learning the truth and growing in faith and then serving and serving each other. And that's a big part of what we do here at Trinity. We have a missions team, a very active, uh, thriving missions team that tries to plan at least one thing a month uh, for us to to do to kind of get outside of these four walls and to serve, because if we learn, we grow, and we serve, then of course we want to be able to be serving and have opportunities. And so coming up in a couple of weeks on uh, Saturday, June 24th, from 11 a.m. to 2, uh, right in the middle of the day there on Saturday, we're going to be uh, serving at the Jersey Shore Rescue Mission. Now, this is a service opportunity that's open for everybody. Uh, You don't have to register. Uh, and uh, basically just going to, if you can, meet at the Jersey Shore Rescue Mission in Asbury Park, probably a little before 11, like 1045. And uh, this is an opportunity that we're calling the joy of serving others, because very simply what we're going to do is, as a church, we are preparing and providing lunch for all of the men who are going through the program uh, there at Jersey Shore Rescue Mission in Asbury Park. And so we get to not only uh, provide it and bring it, but to serve it. And so you'll get an opportunity to serve lunch and to sit down and have lunch with uh, the men there and get to know them, get to hear their stories, share some of your faith. And, uh, and also a unique opportunity because, you know, we, we talk often about uh, them because the Rescue Mission is one of our missionary partners. And so we support them financially as a church, but of course also through prayer and uh, through things like this. And so this is one of those opportunities where we don't have to sort of ha- uh, limit it to the amount of people. Uh, you don't need any kind of special skills or to do it or whatever. And so you just come and show up and help to serve some food and get to know some men and encourage them. And I guarantee you, when you do something like this, you will walk away being blessed and encouraged as well. And so, again, a great opportunity to help support a local mission that we uh, that we support, but to support them by showing up and serving. And so... If you have uh, other questions about that, if you're interested, you want to know some more details, just see Andrew and Elizabeth, who oversee our missions team, or you can see myself, and we'll give you more details, but that's pretty much it. You show up a little before 11 on that Saturday, and uh, we will help to serve lunch for the men there at the mission, all right? So uh, I encourage you to take advantage of that. And then today, after service, uh, from 2 to 5, if you have time to get home, get some lunch or snack or something, and come back, but... We've been heavily promoting this, and so uh, we have uh, a number of you have signed up already. We appreciate the registration. If you haven't done that yet, we just ask that you do that. You can do that even now so that before the seminar later, we can have a good idea of who's, uh, who's coming out. But this is an opportunity, a seminar for believers to, uh, to come and learn more about our uh, Jewish friends in Lakewood and beyond. There are many Orthodox Jewish communities within the greater uh, community there, and so we have an expert in um, in all that coming to s- to speak with us today from two to five. It's free, but we just ask that you register so we know who's coming, and uh, invite your your uh, brothers and sisters in Christ, people that you know might be interested 
especially because of where we are, we're just so uniquely um, located and positioned to, uh, to learn more, uh, not only about uh, the community and the Jewish people, the Orthodox people and, and their traditions, their faith, their beliefs, their customs, but the second part of our seminar today will be offering some practical tools uh, to share your faith in Jesus Christ uh, while you interact with that community. You know, as we uh, see our friends there in different stores, if maybe you live and work in Lakewood and you have opportunity to say hello and, and uh, stand behind them and, the, uh, you know, the counter or whatever. And so it's a great opportunity to learn more about how you can engage with uh, people in that community and uh, things to say, things not to say, uh, different uh, ways and tools to, to bring up the Lord Jesus Christ. So very valuable, especially for believers in this area, okay? So take advantage of that. Again, that is today from 2 to 5 right here in the sanctuary, all right? And uh, there'll be a, a, a short break in between the two sessions. So it's just three-hour seminar, uh, but we want to take advantage of that time. So thank you for everybody that's already signed up. We're looking forward to that, but you still have time to register. Just go to our website, and you can do that. Or if you want to just let me know, just say, hey, Pastor, I didn't sign up, and I'm coming. That's great. Just let me know after service, okay? So I want to take advantage of that. So we, uh, there are many more things happening at Trinity, so always check out our website, trinityallenwood.com. Um, actually, we, uh, in just a few weeks, we'll be uh, having a whole new design and format for our website. All the same great content is there, but we'll be adding some more um, uh, good content to the website. It'll be a, a brand new design, so when that rolls out and goes live, I'll bring that to you on a Sunday morning and, and show you how to navigate that and what it looks like and some new updated information, so be looking forward to that, but it's always a good place to go to uh, find out all that's happening here and how you can get involved. So we, uh, last week, started our brand new sermon series for Sunday mornings called King and Kingdom, and this is going to be our journey through the Gospel of Matthew together, and last week we, uh, we did an overview and uh, talked a lot about uh, the sort of the background of Matthew, and we'll do a, a quick reminder of that in just a minute. But today we actually get started in the book, and so you can turn to it if you like, and in a few minutes I'll read it for you. It'll be up on the screen. But we're doing Matthew chapter 1, verses 1 through 17. And even though it's up on the screen, it's really good to be able to look at it uh, in your own Bibles. And if you didn't bring one, there should be one there in, in, uh, in front of you on the seat back. And so take advantage of that. But uh, you can um, get yourself ready. For there, we're going to be in the genealogy of Jesus. That it is what uh, Matthew 1, 1 through 17 is. And uh, I think we're all familiar with this concept of genealogy, and many of you have probably uh, taken the time to uh, go on to like, uh, different websites to trace your ancestry and kind of get an idea of where you've come from. And, and I was talking to some people last week that have done the whole DNA thing, you know, where you kind of even find out in more detail and go back even further about your ancestry and where uh, your, your, um, all of your relatives came from and all that. And uh, every once in a while, you hear those amazing stories of people that thought they were one thing, and they were like, oh, I thought I was, you know, French the whole time, and it turns out that they were, whatever, Scandinavian or, you know, Australian or something. And so it's a really interesting thing, and again, many of you have done that. And um, uh, I, a number of years ago, started doing that on... Uh, my father's side, so the Wittal side, and I've shared with that, uh, uh, shared with you a few times 
about some of the stuff that we know in our family. I find it really uh, interesting, but um, uh, you know, my, my whole family is from Newark, New Jersey, and uh, both my mom and my dad's side. And um, many people, actually, if you mentioned that a lot of people, their relatives came through Newark. It was sort of the, especially if you're here in Jersey, uh, it's a place to be. And uh, so at least four generations of my family on both sides were born and raised in Newark. I was actually the first to be raised outside of Newark, um, but um, a lot of family history there. And uh, I'm actually German on both sides. So my mom and my dad are both fully German. And I uh, get some looks just like, don't be scared. It's okay. You know, I'm, I'm a nice guy. That's all right. So we have these like connotations like, oh, he's German. But, uh, but it's interesting on both sides, right? And so, um, but my, my last name, Wittel, is actually shortened from uh, a longer German name, which uh, in German sounds like Wittelsbach. And so they kind of drop the Bach and change from Wittel to Wittel, and then it's Wittel. And we all kind of have those ideas, right, and our, our family names and how they've changed and morphed throughout the generations. But um, I, I've done some research on that and have a family member who went to Germany and did some research. And so our family history and our tree goes back through the Bavarian area of Germany and on my dad's side especially. And uh, Wittelsbach was a very uh, important family and name and it, it was uh, uh, royal in its line. And I wanted to read to you um, something that I got off of uh, Wikipedia. And this is just a basic uh, sort of description of what's called the House of Wittelsbach, right? And so this is how I started to trace my genealogy and ancestry. And so um, here's what it says. It says, the House of Wittelsbach is a former German dynasty with branches that have ruled over territories, including Bavaria, Cologne, Holland, Netherlands, Sweden, Finland, Denmark, Norway, Hungary, Romania, Bohemia, and Greece. Are you impressed yet? I hope you are. Okay. Their ancestral lands, the House of Wittelsbach, of Bavaria were prince electorates, and the family of Wittelsbach had three of its members elected emperors and kings of the Holy Roman Empire. They ruled over the Kingdom of Bavaria, which was created in 1805, and continued to exist until 1918. The House of Windsor, maybe some of you recognize that name, the House of Windsor, which is currently the reigning royal house, of the British monarchy, Queen Elizabeth and King Charles, are descendants of Sophia of Hanover, who was a Wittelsbach princess from Bavaria by birth, and by marriage she was the electress of Hanover, and she had inherited the succession rights of the House of Stuart, passed them on to the House of Hanover. So I hope you're all now thoroughly impressed and you realize that I am now related to the King of England, and yet I was not invited to the coronation. I don't know why. I should have been, but, um, but you know, it's interesting when you learn these things, right? So Claudia and I were starting to talk about her side of the family, and what's interesting is that Claudia was uh, born in Honduras, came here when she was a young girl, and uh, her family uh, goes back, her family tree and ancestry goes back hundreds of years before mine, but, um, but her family is from Honduras and El Salvador, and her ancestors are Mayan, and so she has a lot of Mayan Indian in her, her family tree, and uh, so they go back hundreds and hundreds of years 
before I can trace mine. And she just kind of started doing some research and was able to find that. And the Mayans were a, a large group of people, a very advanced society um, that existed hundreds and hundreds of years ago, even more than a thousand years ago in what is now Central America. And so um, it's very interesting, right? When we look back and part of my, my searching uh, brought me to the different census that they had in this country back in the early part of the 20th century. And you see the names and the people that lived together and you start putting pieces of the puzzle together. But I'm also struck by this when I do that, that every name that you come across when you do like a family tree search, every um, name that you come across was a real individual that lived a real life, you know, and most of these people you've never met, but they had families and they had jobs and they had to take care of their kids and they had dreams of a future. And here we are, part of that long line, right? And each of us is important and we matter in that line of ancestry. And all those names we can read about from hundreds and hundreds of years ago, they all mattered and were important. And they might just now kind of be names on a page. But yet here we are in part of that line. And as we're going to read in a minute the genealogy of Jesus, let's remember that, that every name that I'm about to read is very important. Most importantly, because they matter to God. But every name is not just a name. When you come across genealogies or lists of names in the Bible, don't skip over them. First of all, they're in there for a reason. God ordained it. But every one of those names represents a life and someone who was loved and cherished by family members. And so every name that's listed in the genealogy of Jesus was important and not just a name. They matter to God just like you matter to God. And again, many of you have probably done your family research, even beyond just, say, your grandparents or great-grandparents and you know, find out where you're coming from and your family tree. And even some of those people, maybe God used them to change lives and to change the world. And so it's important to realize that Jesus has an ancestry. Jesus being fully God and fully human, a unique ancestry nonetheless, which we'll see. But in his humanity, his human side, he has and ancestry. So we know, of course, of the virgin birth. So Jesus has no earthly biological father. He had Joseph, was sort of an adoptive father. You could say it that way. But of course, his mother, Mary. But yet, there is lineage that we see in Scripture through Joseph, the father, and through Mary. We have many genealogies in the Bible. You can go back and look in, in Genesis and in Genesis 5, Genesis 11. There are many genealogies, but of Jesus, we have two. There's this one in Matthew that we're going to look at today. There's also one in Luke, and uh, it's a little different. You say, wait, how could the genealogy of Jesus be any different? Well, it's a whole subject for another time, but I want to touch on a few of those reasons. But one of the main reasons, again, is that the writers of the books of the New Testament wrote with a purpose in mind. This is part of a review from last week. If you remember, they didn't just write to sort of, the gospel writers didn't just write to tell the story of Jesus, but they wrote with an audience in mind, with a purpose in 
mind. And so Matthew's purpose, if you remember, was to show two main things, that Jesus was the promised king, and to then describe what is now happening with his kingdom since his people had rejected him. Matthew focuses on the royalty of Jesus' lineage. And we know that Jesus holds three different offices, prophet, priest, and king. When he came the first time, he was as a prophet, right, bringing the news of God to the people, calling people back to repentance, which is what all the prophets of the Old Testament did. Jesus did that as prophet. He currently now reigns as priest. Hebrews tells us he is our great high priest, one whom we can talk to and pray to and intercedes for us as the earthly priest did. But we know when Jesus returns, he will fill that third office of king, prophet, priest, and king. So he is our coming king. And so Matthew wrote to talk about Jesus as king and his kingdom. And he focused on the royalty, the royal lineage of Jesus. So of course, it actually makes sense that Matthew would begin his gospel with the genealogy of Jesus to show his ancestry, to show his royal line going all the way back to Abraham. See now, the, the genealogy of Jesus in Luke, if you were to read that, we won't do that today, go back and read that, perhaps you have. Luke's genealogy of Jesus goes all the way back to Adam. But see, Matthew just goes back to Abraham because Matthew was writing to a predominantly Jewish audience. They were now believers in Jesus, but he was writing to confirm for them that, yes, this Jesus that you now put your trust in for salvation, he is that promised Messiah. He is the king who has come. And he has brought his kingdom, which they had then rejected. But see, Luke's purpose was not that. He wasn't writing to a Jewish audience. He was writing to a predominantly Gentile-believing audience. So Luke wanted, this is really important, Luke in his genealogy wanted to show in his gospel how Jesus was the redeemer of all mankind. So he goes in the lineage and the ancestry all the way back to Adam. So there are some differences. But here's a quick note about biblical genealogies in general. This is important for our study today. First of all, not all names in an ancestral line are always mentioned. In Matthew's genealogy, some of the kings in the, 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 the line of the Hebrew people, line through Jesus and King David, some of the kings' names are omitted. We're not sure why. Maybe because they were mostly the, the bad kings. But see... Not all names need to be given in order to properly trace a heritage. Okay, so it's one thing to remember that not all, all names are always mentioned. Mostly, just the male names are given in biblical genealogies, but sometimes women are as well. We'll see that in Matthew's genealogy. Spans of time are not always given. If you go back to Genesis 5 and 11, you'll see that in the genealogies it will say this person, this guy begat this guy, which means he was the son, and it said that he lived for X amount of years. And then this guy begat this guy, then he lived at X amount of years. But not all genealogies give a span of time. Matthew doesn't. There are theories and debates about the validity of some genealogies and the implications for 
using the genealogies to date biblical events like the Exodus and the flood and creation, but not having the time to get into all of those issues today, just have this as your main consideration. When you're studying the Bible, always let Scripture interpret Scripture. Does that make sense? We do have extra biblical resources and things outside of the 66 books of the Bible that can help us with histories. But at the end of the day, most importantly, let the Scripture you're reading be interpreted by other scriptures throughout the Bible, right? And you can't go wrong by doing that. So according to Liz Abrams, she's a staff writer at Answers in Genesis on their website, listen to what she says about the Matthew um, genealogy. She says this, is it a problem that Matthew omitted some names for whatever reason from his genealogy? Genealogies exist in scripture for multiple reasons and It is important to examine what a given genealogy means to do in a certain situation. Matthew's genealogy exists to trace the kingly line of David to Jesus through his adoptive father, Joseph. The genealogy would have been valid to his Jewish audience, or there would have been no point in including it. The point of Matthew's genealogy is to show how Jesus is descended from Abraham and David, and it does just that. Does it imply that there may be missing generations elsewhere in biblical genealogies? Some genealogies primarily connect a person to his tribe through his immediate ancestors, and it does not matter if there are missing generations in such cases. The genealogy can be true, even if it's not exhaustive, and that's important. Other genealogies stress the strict father-to-son progression of generations, such as the ones in Genesis, that even include chronological information, and they leave no room for missing generations. So there's different kinds of genealogies. The reason I bring all that up, church, is that we keep everything in context and realize there are different kinds of genealogies because they are given, like in Matthew and then in Luke, for a particular purpose to prove a particular point. So, now, let's read it together. This is Matthew chapter 1, verses 1 through 17. The record of the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers. Judah was the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar. Perez was the father of Hezron, and Hezron the father of Ram. Ram was the father of Aminadab, and Aminadab the father of Nashon, and Nashon the father of Salmon. Salmon was the father of Boaz by Rahab, Boaz the father of Obed by Ruth, and Obed the father of Jesse. Jesse was the father of David the king. David was the father of Solomon by Bathsheba, who had been the wife of Uriah. Solomon was the father of Rehoboam, Rehoboam the father of Abijah, Abijah the father of Asa, Asa was the father of Jehoshaphat, Jehoshaphat the father of Joram, and Joram the father of Uzziah. Uzziah was the father of Jotham, Jotham the father of Ahaz, and Ahaz the father of Hezekiah. Hezekiah was the father of Manasseh, Manasseh the father of Amon, and Amon the father of Josiah. Josiah became the father 
of Jeconiah and his brothers at the time of the deportation to Babylon. After the deportation of Babylon, Jeconiah became the father of Shealtiel, and Shealtiel the father of Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel was the father of Abihud, and Abihud the father of Eliakim, and Eliakim the father of Azor. Azor was the father of Zadok, Zadok the father of Akim, and Akim the father of Eliud. Eliud was the father of Eleazar, Eleazar the father of Mathan, and Mathan the father of Jacob. Jacob was the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, by whom Jesus was born, who is called the Messiah. And then Matthew ends with this note. So all the generations from Abraham to David are 14 generations. From David to the deportation of Babylon, 14 generations. And from the deportation to Babylon to the Messiah, 14 generations. And there is the genealogy. I'd like to know when you were in Sunday school as a kid, how many of you memorized Matthew 1, 1 through 17? Get all those names? I think I did okay pronouncing most of those names. But I want to start with a a, a brief uh, review from last week, or overview, and then I just want to point out a few highlights from these lists of names, right? So remember, this uh, letter, this gospel of Matthew was written by Matthew. He was a tax collector from Capernaum. He um, uh, is a tax collector. That means he was hated. He was a traitor to his own people, the Jewish people. It often tax collectors were considered a thief. No comments. Uh, Capernaum was the Jesus base for ministry, um, and Jesus called Peter and Andrew there. Uh, Matthew was probably wealthy, at least very well off, through some big parties that we know about. He was one of the original 12 disciples. Uh, He wrote this gospel of Jesus, the account of Jesus' life and teachings, around 45, 50 AD, so about 10, 15 years after Jesus died and rose again. It is the longest of all four gospels, and it's one of the three synoptic gospels we talked about last week. Uh, Matthew's gospel is very Jewish in nature. He talks about the subject of the law of Jerusalem, the temple, King David, Messiah, and kingdom. They're very prevalent, those subjects. There's over 150 Old Testament references uh, in Matthew's gospel. 60 of them are prophetic about Messiah. There are many unexplained Jewish customs, which simply means uh, Matthew didn't feel like he had to explain these Jewish customs because he was writing to a predominantly Jewish audience who are now believers in Jesus. Um, and uh, this gospel has more teachings of Jesus than any of the other gospel writers. And then finally, remember, the purpose of writing uh, was to make an argument uh, and a point about Jesus being the Messiah, the King, uh, and the one whom they must believe in for salvation. And then, of course, explaining the idea of the kingdom now that they had rejected Jesus And so, Matthew uses these words a lot, like son of David, kingdom of heaven, uh, and so on and so forth. Um, He also presents the kingdom of God program, because any Jewish person then, asking about Jesus, would have asked this very simple question, excuse me. They would have said, okay, if Jesus is the promised king, then where is the kingdom? What happened to it? Where is it? We don't see the kingdom. Where is it? All the Jewish people were waiting for the kingdom. 
So, and, and uh, his, his followers saying, he's the king. And they're like, so where is the kingdom? So Matthew wrote to explain all of that. So Matthew develops in his book that Jesus came to bring the kingdom. He, uh, Jesus offered the kingdom to first century Israel. Israel rejected that offer. So now we have the church, Jew and Gentile together. And then Matthew goes on to explain that Jesus will return when Israel accepts Jesus as king. So now to our genealogy. Matthew will begin to show where the king came from. Right? It's important. Showing his lineage, his family, his ancestry. It's very important to the Jewish people, right? They would ask, what tribe are you from? Many of our Jewish friends today know what tribe their family is from, going all the way back to the 12 tribes of, of um, Israel from the, the sons of Jacob. And they always would want to know, are you the son of Abraham, right? They would ask that question about Jesus. Well, is he a son of David, a son of Abraham? And that's how Matthew begins his um, genealogy. As Stanley Toussaint says this, one of the primary questions a Jew would ask concerning a claimant to be Messiah would be, is he the son of Abraham? And is he of the house of David? Really important question, which makes sense. Because God made, listen, God made all these promises to the people of Israel through Abraham and King David. And so they would want to know, is this the guy who's going to fulfill all those promises? If you remember when we studied Genesis, we talked about how you can kind of, um, you can kind of break down the book of Genesis into four main events and then four main people. Remember that? We looked at Genesis 1 through 11 as four main events. It's creation, the fall, the flood, and the dispersion the people of Israel. And then the rest of Genesis, about four main people, was it Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. And so that whole Testament is tracing how God is keeping his promise to one day bring the Redeemer that he promised in Genesis 3.15. And so that's basically like the bigger meta-narrative or story of the Old Testament. And so Matthew then begins his gospel with a genealogy. I hope that makes sense to us all now that there's a reason that he gives all these names because it would have mattered to his first readers and it should matter to us and it would make sense. So consider some of these highlights from this genealogy, right? Some of the things that we want to point out that it's important that we do not miss. So one, he begins a genealogy by saying, it's the record of the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, but then look how, look how he qualifies it. The son of David, son of Abraham. So in a way, Jesus is already just saying, here's what I'm about to write, kind of giving an overview and saying, here's why I'm about to give you all these names, because Jesus, the Messiah, is the son of David, and he's the son of Abraham. Those are the two things that would have mattered to his readers. Does that make sense? So that's how he starts because see, David, right? David was the one through whom God made all these promises to Israel that there would always be a king. We call it the Davidic covenant, that there'd be a king of Israel through the line of David whenever there was a king on his throne. But then through Abraham, being the son of Abraham, we know that there are wider promises to the whole world through Abraham. If you remember, it said the whole world will be blessed through you, God made that promise to Abraham. So it's important to know, is this Messiah, the one you're saying is king? Is he a son of David, 
Like, is he of the royal line? And is he a son of Abraham? Is he a real Jewish descendant? Also, notice this, that he says at the end, we just read that, all the generations from Abraham to David are 14 generations. From David to the deportation of Babylon, 14. From the deportation of Babylon to Messiah, 14. So Matthew groups, and church is important. You know, we don't want to skip over any of this. Matthew groups his genealogy into three groups, three sections. And and it it kind of makes sense. It's logical. Because he's saying, okay, we're going to go from Abraham to David, because this shows the rise of king and kingdom, right? God calling out and creating a people for himself, the people of Israel, through Abraham, the father of all Israel. And so Matthew is saying, okay, here's the first group in the genealogy, Abraham to King David, which shows the rise of the king and kingdom and a unified nation of Israel. But then his next section, that he, when he gave all the names, was from King David all the way to King Jeconiah, which ends the united, right, which ends actually um, all of the, the division. It shows the division of Israel, and it ends with the exile into Babylon. See, so Matthew is showing first from Abraham to David, hey, we're showing king and kingdom, and it's a unified Israel. But then, unfortunately, right, after King David's son Solomon, then the, uh, the kingdom of Israel is divided, right? And so that second section of genealogy shows all those, those kings and leaders in the divided Israel when they are finally, because of their disobedience, exiled into Babylon. But then the third section brings it all back. And he says, after the exile, after Jeconiah, goes all the way up to Jesus when the king has arrived and he has offered the restored kingdom. See that? So he traces in three separate sections, Abraham to David to show the rise of king and kingdom, and then the fallen division of the kingdom, and then exile into Babylon, then from Babylon, the exile, all the way up to Jesus, the restoration. God is at work. God is on the move, and his plans will come to fruition. So Matthew is... is um, laying it out, right, in a logical order. Here are the names, here's the genealogy, groups them each into 14 to show here's the progression and why we're saying Jesus is of this lineage, right? He starts with Abraham, not Adam, like Luke does, because Matthew has a predominantly Jewish audience. Because if he was to prove that Jesus was royal, and that his legal status was intact, he would want to go back to Abraham, which is what he did. He also mentions Judah, right? And not his brothers or sisters. Why? Because the promise, you remember in our study in Genesis, the promises God made the people of Israel for a redeemer to one day come, the Messiah, Matthew is proving it is Jesus, was coming through not any of the other sons, but through the line of Judah, right? So Jesus is called the Lion of Judah. So that's why Judah is mentioned in Matthew's genealogy, because the promise was given through Judah. But he also mentions Judah's twin sons, right? So Perez and Zerah by Tamar. Because the line is then traced through Perez, and that would have been understood back then. To trace the line of Messiah would have gone through Perez. And so there's a reason that all these names 
are chose, chosen and given uh, by Matthew. And then he is mentioned again, uh, David as king. See in verse 6, Jesse was the father of David the king. See, Matthew puts that in there. It's important. All these words are important. Uh, David the king. To show again the royal line of Jesus. And finally, we end with this. Perhaps you noticed this as we're going along. I said most genealogies include just men. It was part of the culture. It was understood back then. But here in Matthew's genealogy, he mentions four individual women in the genealogy. And we don't want to skip over this because this is highly significant. And it would have meant a lot to Matthew's early readers. So again, what it says, we see in verses 3 uh, all the way through 6 and then into 7, four women, Tamar, Rahab, Ruth, and Bathsheba. Four women that Matthew mentions in his genealogy of Jesus. Why is this important? Ruth, many of us are familiar with Ruth's story, but she was considered a foreigner from a foreign land. She was an outsider to Israel, a religious outsider. She had no husband. She had no son. Ruth was marginalized and disadvantaged in that time, in that culture, in just about every way possible that a woman could be disadvantaged. Yet, God not only uh, used her and shows her being in the line of David, the king, who would one day, right, be the progenitor of Jesus, the Messiah, but also shows Ruth and lists her name as a testimony to the type of leader that David the king would become. Yes, flawed. David, of course, was flawed. But yet still courageous and strong of faith. David was considered a man after God's, God's own heart, was he not? Ruth was a woman of strong courage and faith. Yet she was marginalized and at great disadvantage. So her name listed is highly significant. But what about Tamar and Rahab and Bathsheba, who Matthew says was the wife of Uriah. They were noted and highlighted in Scripture mostly for their sinful acts and lifestyle, each of them. But yet, God purposed them to be in the line of Messiah, the King. What purposely? I think to show God's grace in his heart of forgiveness, to show mercy and to elevate the prominence in his plans of all people, especially including those who were considered in that day unclean and unworthy by their peers in society. I think in many ways Matthew includes them to elevate them and to show each one of these names is important. No one is unimportant to God. The significance of these four women mentioned in the opening verses of the whole New Testament and Matthew's genealogy cannot be overstated. It's important to God. It shows the importance of Jesus. It would have been important to the Jewish people of today as it is important to all of us today. Church, whenever you read a list of names in the Bible, don't skip over it. Every name is important. Every name is a person. And every name is there given for a reason. We have Tamar, Rahab, Ruth, and Bathsheba for very important reasons. We don't want to skip over it. So our family ancestry is important to us. It's a history of how we got here. It 
it reminds us of the importance of family, right? I hope family is important to you. The importance of our heritage, that each person plays a vital role. Each name in this genealogy of Jesus mattered to God and in his plans of how he was going to bring the promised Messiah, the king and his kingdom, to fruition. You matter to God, and you matter to God's plans. The most important name in that genealogy is Jesus. For Scripture teaches us that it is only through Jesus that we are reconciled to our Heavenly Father. See, God is holy and perfect and pure and perfectly righteous. And we are separated at birth. We are separated from God spiritually because we are born into a sinful nature. The Bible teaches us that going all the way back to Adam and Eve. So we are helpless and cannot reconcile ourselves back to God. That's some bad news, right? But the good news is that God did all that was necessary for us to be reconciled, reconnected, back to God, our creator. Jesus did everything that was required on the cross. When he took upon himself what we were singing of earlier, the pain, the suffering, the shame, the guilt, the penalty for our sin, our nature, and our actions, Jesus took it all. We should have been the ones on the cross. Jesus did it for us. And therefore, Scripture teaches us that in order to simply receive that gift that is offered, that Jesus did everything, we are to believe. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, the Bible teaches us. Believe that he is who he says he is, the Son of God, the King, the Messiah, and that he did what he said he was going to do, to die on the cross in our place and to come back to life so we could sing a song like we did, that he is alive. And he offers us a new life reconciliation to the Father. But Jesus also says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So it is belief in Jesus and Jesus alone that brings us salvation. Would you stand with me as I close by reading this verse from Philippians 2, this verses 8 through 11. May this be the scripture that leads us out today. I'll read this and then close us in a time of prayer. Paul writes these words to the church in Philippi. He says, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. For this reason also, God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name, which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you. We pray in that name, that one and only name, the name of Jesus Christ, for there is no other name, no other name in heaven and on earth by which we can be saved. Father God, I pray that if there's anyone here today with us, that does not yet know you and believe in your son Jesus for the salvation of their personal sin and trust in him and him alone for that that rescue. I pray God today would be the day.
For those of us, Father, who do and already have believed, we pray, Father God, that you would encourage us and give us hope to challenge us, Lord God, <laughs> to take every word, every person, every name seriously. And Father God, to be reminded of the beautiful truth that Jesus is King, who came to offer kingdom and will one day return, not as our prophet or our priest, but as our King. Father God, we thank you for that. And we say, as your word says, even so quickly, come, Lord Jesus. But until then, we will honor you with our lips, for you are Jesus. And there is no other name that we will praise and honor. And so, we pray for your Father, glory, for the leading of the Spirit, in that name above all names, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thanks for joining us this morning, church. Praise the Lord. When you're out. 